This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. books. I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comic show. And I am your host, Matthew Rushing, and my other host who's here every single week is Dan Gunther. Dan, how are you doing? Hey Matthew, doing pretty okay. How about yourself? You know, I would say that that is uh, par for the course for me as well. Pretty okay. Um, got a lot of things up in the air. Uh, my wife and I are actually going to be moving soon. Um, so we are in that process of, you know, finding a new apartment and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm just, uh, I'm kind of ready for it to be over. Yeah, it's always a bit of a stress- stressful time for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But um yeah, I'm excited, um, though, uh, you know, we're going to be a little bit closer to her family, which will be nice, um, and the place that we're, we're moving to is, um, it's kind of the place that we were hoping where life will settle down when, you know, we'll spend, oh, nice. yeah. um, yeah, well, as far as we know, in the rest of our lives, so we'll see what happens, um. Very cool. Yeah, well, I wish you all the best, yeah, for thanks. sure. <laughs> well, we're not here to talk about that. We're here about to talk about <laughs> Star Trek news uh, with books and comics. And we did have a fun release, um, the ongoing number 47, The Tholian Webs Part 2 came out. And uh, Dan, you and I got a chance to peruse that today. And uh, yeah, what did you end up thinking? I mean, this is only a duology, so it's it's not a real involved story. Um, how did you like the wrap up? Uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, not like you said, not the most involved story, not the deepest, uh, but enjoyable, fun, a bit of a twist on the original Tholian web story, um, kind of really felt. And I think I kind of mentioned this last week and we talked a bit about it. It felt kind of like a mashup between the Tholian web and where, uh, excuse me, sorry, the naked time, uh, where the kind of madness the crew had didn't really feel the same in this as it did in the Tholian web, but instead, you know, people taking over engineering and taking over the ship and that sort of thing, rather than the, you know, screaming at the camera while it applies a distortion effect to you kind of thing from the Tholian web. Yeah. Um, it was, what was weird is they had done the whole phasing thing. And then mm-hmm. apparently the Tholian webs fixed the phasing issue yeah. for a while. <laughs> and then they make the joke that it's kind of like back 
after they oh, it's bad yeah after they deal with the, the <laughs> that Tholians, wacky interface <laughs> oh, god i hate that interface it's everywhere it's like jeffrey combs um <laughs> but yeah it's so it's so odd like it was just a strange thing to have happen and and so i don't know this is um it's an interesting way to bring the Tholians in, kind of tell the the new JJ version of the Tholian web, and uh, yeah, at the same time, you know, they um, it seems very interesting to make the Tholians another enemy, um, with this very small interaction, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so it, it's kind of. Uh, we accidentally crossed into their space. We didn't even know we were doing it, and then they wrap us in their webs, and and now we get after we get out, they tell us we're their enemy. Like, okay, um, yeah. I mean, it kind of fits in with how touchy we know the Tholians to be, but they are very touchy. Just you know, <laughs> I mean, always walking on eggshells around them. Man, can you imagine if, you know, they had some sort of interaction with Archer and Porthos? Like, I mean, the Catassins were bad enough, but good Uh, lord. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that would, I just, it would not have gone over well whatsoever. Um, It would have been hard for Porthos to be around them, though, because, you know, they they live in such a heated environment. Mm -hmm. And I think (laughs) Porthos would be automatically dead, so I guess it wouldn't have really mattered. Maybe they just would have been offended by the carcass of the dog on the ground. (laughs) You know? I don't know. I mean, but knowing the Tholians, that's probably the case. Uh, Well, maybe there was some sort of little doggy-sized environmental suit or something. (laughs) (laughs) A doggy-sized environmental suit. Is that, that also fit for Keenzer, too? Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I actually really want to see Keenzer in an environmental suit now. <laughs> yes, yeah, that would be really funny. Well, I think that's what kind of saves the whole comic for me is, spoilers, Keenzer is the savior. Like, he's the one who saves the day. And him and Kirk working together, I thought was just, it was just a laugh out loud moment for me <laughs> of him and, and Keenzer you know, fixing the problem together and and making it work, and then of course, the very end when oh, Kirk man. is <laughs> saying he wants to get to know Keenzer better, and Keenzer's not real talkative, so it's uh, it's just an awkward silence. <laughs> that was a perfect finishing page. I I mean, you know, the story, like we said, you know, wasn't that deep. It wasn't that involved, and you know, I kind of came away from it going like, oh, okay, that was interesting. But then, yeah, that final page, that just last little bit of a joke before the end, that was great. Yeah, it was. It was really nice. So, uh, you know, I I think this is a it's a fun wrap up. This was a kind of a, a lighter touch, you know, with everything that happened here. It was it was nice to see that interaction with, you know, I mean. Chris and I joked originally you could have a whole comic with just Keenzer. <laughs> and I would be interested to see them kind of utilize it a little bit, him a little bit more, and, and find unique ways to, to deal with some of the other characters on the Enterprise, you know? Kind of give us an, a taste of what life is like with the different alien species we see, you know, not just in, in the original Trek, but the ones that they kind of invented for J.J. Trek. So... Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what comics can do the best because you can just draw a character and worry about the makeup and all that. So I'd love to actually see more of that. And with Keenser, I mean, you know, there's not a whole lot of dialogue you have to write either. So it works out pretty well. 
Yeah, it's great. Um, because he, uh, yeah, he is the the silent, deadly type. So exactly, yeah, si- strong and silent. Exactly. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, uh, before we kind of head into the feature where we're going to be continuing the Mirror Anarchy series, just wanted to kind of remind everybody um, that uh, Trek FM is an entire network of podcasts. We're we're not just literary treks. And if you haven't checked us out, go to trek.fm. You can check out all the different podcasts we have. You can also check us on. You can also check us out on Apple, where we're a featured provider. We have our own artist page, and then we're on TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, uh, Stitcher. We're everywhere. And then, of course, at the website at trek.fm, you can just get the mp3 file or you can use the rss link to put that in any podcatcher out there so it is pretty uh, amazing the m- amount of places that we are and of course uh if you'd love to send us some feedback on the shows that we do we'd love to hear from you go to trek.fm slash contact you can leave us a voicemail which would be so much fun to have uh, look in the sidebar on the show page go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm we're on Twitter at Trek FM, so great way to keep up with what's happening at Trek FM, the shows that have come out, retweet those to your friends, Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And Dan, we're also at the Babel Conference. Kind of tell everybody what that Babel Conference is. Well, the Babel Conference is just kind of this great group on Facebook. Uh and there you can talk about anything to do with Star Trek, post interesting pictures about the various series. Uh, and spark some great discussion about your favorite books, TV shows, anything to do with Star Trek. Uh, you can find all of the hosts there posting on a myriad of topics and commenting on everything on there. And, and it's really a great place to hang out. Uh, I've had some really great conversations with some of the people over there. And it's always a treat to check out what's just been newly posted or, you know, what new comments have surfaced on something that's been there for a while. It's it's really great. Well, and it is uh, a listeners-only group, so you do have to listen to the shows to know about it, and so that makes it a closed group. Just ask to join, and one of our myriad of hosts from around the network will let you in. A bunch of us are admins there, and come in and have a great conversation. So I'm really excited to have you join. Dan, I am excited as we're going to be looking back at the Mere Anarchy series, and uh, we're talking about the next book there and it's called the center cannot hold and if you don't remember the original story had the enterprise trying to help save a civilization from annihilation um there was a gigantic wave pulse headed for this uh star system where uh a warp advanced species but only part of the planet had warp drive so we had a lot of prime directive stuff going in to it they they try to save the planet and they're they're able to do so yet they're not completely able to block this pulse and it kind of leaves the planet a wasteland and so the story is really unfolding that the enterprise continues to be involved with helping this civilization as it tries to crawl back basically out of well even worse than the dark ages Mm-hmm. And I mean that original that original story took place around the time of the beginning of Kirk's command of the Enterprise, around where no man has gone before. And this one picks up a few years later, 
kind of around season two, I believe, of uh, Star Trek, the original series. So right in the middle of Kirk's five-year mission in kind of that bright primary color uniform era that we all know and love. And the story is really good at illustrating kind of that next era of Kirk and his crew and how they return to this planet and deal with what has happened and move forward in this story of helping this planet get back on their feet. Yeah, I I love that we are firmly entrenched in that Cold War era between the Federation and the Klingons. The Organium Peace Treaty uh, really sets the stage for what's happening here. And, you know, the Federation has sent the Enterprise back because Dr. Lon has created a series of satellites that is going to help the planet fix the atmosphere much more quickly than it would just as it naturally would and to speed that process along. And I loved that, you know, they get to the planet and, you know, this is a area of space that is kind of in contention with uh, the Klingons and the Klingons would love to gain a foothold here. And they're doing their best through Core and his crew to influence the events here, to turn the people against um, the Federation through um, one of the um, more extremist members of uh, this their ruling council. And yeah, I, I think it makes for a great setup um, to kind of see the story unfold in this, you know, very much as what you think of as classic TOS. Mm-hmm. Part of me was a little bit, you know, when I first started the story thinking, okay, you know, the Klingons and the Federation fighting over a planet, trying to woo the people one way or the other. I think we've seen this story before a few times. Uh, but at the same time, it really does place it historically in where Star Trek is at this point. You know, you've got the constant like we said, the Cold War machinations between the two powers, you know, fighting over a piece of territory. This really would have been what it was like in Star Trek, like constantly trying to keep the Klingons from encroaching and vice versa as as they parry back and forth in the territories and abiding by this Organian peace treaty. You know, in the trouble with Tribbles, we kind of get an outline of what that involves. You know, each side has to prove that they can develop a planet better uh, and, you know, we get this kind of crazy competition between the two of them. And, you know, you have to remember, this is kind of back in the day where the Klingons weren't the warrior Vikings of the next generation. They were the Soviets of the time, right? It was trying to keep planets from falling under their sphere of influence and allowing, you know, the Federation's democracy to win the day. Yeah, you know... I'm a, uh, with you. I think that the other thing that this really does give us the chance to do is look at the Klingons and their activities in this time period and, and in some ways kind of the differences, the way the culture evolved. And yeah, I, I love that we're in that more 
devious type of Klingon who who actually in the end kind of acts more like a Romulan, and then of course in the next generation they kind of switch, you know, uh, the 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 way that they they act. You know, the Klingons become the honor bound society, and the Romulans kind of become the more devious, underhanded society. It's it's very interesting mm-hmm. to see how that works out, and so. <laughs> so yeah, I I think this is a a really interesting place. Um and what I do like about the series so far is the fact that we're setting the stories in different eras of TOS cuz I mean this was meant to celebrate the series and and by giving us the opportunity to have little vignettes but a connected story throughout the entire run of these characters is really interesting because two the way that the characters handle the situations is going to change throughout each book. And I think that's really, really cool. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was one thing reading this. Like I said, when I first started, I was thinking like, Oh, we've seen this before, but then I kind of realized that's a little bit of the point of this series is it's celebrating what Star Trek is. And this is quintessentially Star Trek, the original series as it was here. So I think the story does a very good job of presenting that period as we remember it, for sure. Well, I like that you kind of brought up this idea of the Federation versus the Klingons. You know, it's not Batman v Superman, it's Federation v Klingons, you know, and and you really are. This planet has a choice to make on who is going to be their helper, their savior, the one they're going to look to. And, you know, um, I, I do love that in the book, you know, Kirk is very confident that the, the people will choose the Federation because they are actually here to help. Um, mm-hmm. And he knows what the Klingons are capable of and what they actually want from this planet, you know. Um, and so it is really interesting because... I mean, the Klingons, in some ways, they offer the dark side, the quick and easy path, you know, mm-hmm. whereas the Federation is the light side, but it it's just going to take longer for the recovery, but it's actually going to be much better in the end, and, well, heck, they're not going to ask as much from you as the Klingons will, so. Exactly. I mean, we as watchers of Star Trek know that the Klingons are, you know, probably going to enslave this planet and... uh use it to their own ends and that the Federation generally speaking is fairly altruistic and will be, you know, looking to the planet's best interests and helping them along and helping their society to prosper. But if you're a citizen of this planet, you don't, you don't have that history of knowledge of these Klingons to fall back on. So it's kind of interesting when you're presented with the two, plans because the federation's plan like you said offers long-term sustainable solutions uh but in the short term it's going to be rougher on them whereas you know the klingon's plan is basically sell all your natural resources raise a ton of capital and you know we'll help things out right away kind of thing which if you're someone who's looking at quarterly reports and how your planet's going to do in the next year or two years you know, that might be kind of more tempting, whereas the Federation plan is, you know, you're going to suffer for a little while. It's going to be rough, but your planet's going to be here for generations to come. And I feel like it's it's kind of an interesting parallel because, you know, some people, you know, with certain views and that sort of thing might look at that as more helpful, whereas generations from now, they're, 
you know, who knows if we'll be here? Who knows who will be here? I won't be here. So, you know, I, I can't worry about that. I have to worry about feeding my family today or that sort of thing. And there's nothing worse than having to fill out Klingon TPS reports too. Oh God. <laughs> uh, it's just terrible. I mean, when Cora comes by and he's like, so how's it going? I mean, it's just, it's just not what you want to hear. So. Yeah. No, when you're, when your cover sheet isn't perfectly translated into Klingonese, it's just, it's a nightmare and you know, you Klingon never know. Yeah. You just never know when you're going to get a Metcliffe in the back at that point. <laughs> well, and it, yeah, it is interesting. <laughs> you reminded me too of uh, you know in Harry Potter the third one when they're trying to learn how to to read the tea leaves, and Ron's like, "Um, so you're gonna suffer for a little while, but you're." going to be happy about it you know like that's that's kind of what you know it seems like the federation is offering and and yet at the Mm -hmm. same time like you said you know it's that long-term sustainability they're saying look we're basically going to help you get your planet back Mm -hmm. into the way that it was but this is going to take the long-term solution we're playing Mm -hmm. the long game and that's what's so interesting about this series is that it is kind of a good way to respond to the idea that the Enterprise is always just on to the next mission and that they don't follow up on anything. You know, we've Mm -hmm. had so many TOS books, I feel like, following up on episodes and Kirk going back and revisiting his, you know, decisions. Did I make the right decision? You know, um, this one is not so much Kirk having to deal with did he make the right decision, but just this is what it's like to to be a part of the interstellar neighborhood you know you mm-hmm. you're taking care of your friends and neighbors um and the federation is trying to be a good neighbor to these people and i just think that's so interesting because again it's it's the long game we're playing it out from the beginning of tos all the way to the end of tos and that the enterprise is involved in different parts of different missions throughout its entire run they just don't keep hopping planets you know and galaxies from one place to the next you know i think that's Mm -hmm. a really nice thing to see and that's one of the things i really enjoy just in general about this series so far absolutely yeah i'm really enjoying that aspect as well and i'm really excited to see where it goes in the future because you know i'm thinking like at the end of kirk's life for example, he's telling Picard, you know, as long as you can make a difference, you know, that's that's what's most important. And I feel like in this story, that's what we're getting is in the his, in the long history of this planet dealing with this catastrophe and going through everything that they do. It's Kirk and the Enterprise that's really coming along and making a difference in the lives of these people. And you know, to see that concept kind of actually illustrated over a long period is going to be really fascinating because, like you say, it's something we've never really gotten in the um, episodic nature of the original series. You know, we get them coming along, maybe freeing a people from its machine god and, you know, repelling a Gorn attack or learning that hey, we don't have to kill our enemies or whatever, but then they move on to the next mission and all of that's kind of lost or forgotten 
because next week something else strange has happened and they're off doing that. But this time we really get to see, you know, each decision kind of built upon the one before it and in what way these people really did make a difference in the, in the uh, history of this planet. Yeah. You know, it's, it's nice to see too, that um, each of the different characters gets to be invested in a different way, you know, and uh, the series has different characters on the covers too. And I liked, you know, that this one was Chekhov and Sulu and they actually had a specific storyline here of being sent on a mission together um, and being a part of, of figuring out what the Klingons were up to. And so that's the other thing about this series is it's giving an opportunity for these different characters to shine throughout the series as well. And again, that's just a nice thing to see because in their own way, each one of these characters is going to be impacted by the story that happens here on Mastico in a different way and we get the opportunity again like you said to really play that out and that's that's a really cool thing to see in TOS where that's not something that we did a ton of (laughs) (laughs) I mean at least as I say that at least until the movies I feel like the movies is, is where the real growth of these characters came from I mean when you think about from the motion picture all the way to six and the way that each one of these characters in a lot of ways, especially Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, really have their arcs. And that's, I feel like, mm-hmm. really what we think of, um, except for maybe the Hallmark episode like The City on the Edge of Forever, you know. Right. It's really, in the, some ways, the film. So watching these characters work over the entire series is, in some ways, I think, helping us to dig deeper into the entire series and not just think of the touch points you know or the film era at least for me right yeah it really lets you kind of peel back the layers on these characters and i i think i've said this before like in the original series as great as it is and i really love the original series but the characters very much are more kind of archetypes rather than you know fully realized persons in and of themselves like you say with the with a few exceptions along the way but stories like this really make those characters come alive and, you know, they get their own character arcs and character growth and that sort of thing. And yeah, it's really a welcome uh, addition to the original series and those characters for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I completely agree with you. And um, what was interesting about uh, this story, and um, it's, it is very funny actually because... Um, the story became something I wasn't really expecting. And it's funny too, because Chris and I on the orb, were talking about the circle trilogy. We just started the first episode this week and we were talking about the Lee Nollis legend and kind of the lie. And, and it's not really a lie because he doesn't tell it himself. Um, but people right. make him into more than he was. And that's exact same thing happens here in this story but it's really but it's really kirk who's kind of responsible for basically doing the dark knight deception Mm -hmm. (laughs) with this character of trawl and making him into the hero the white knight basically you know and um i i just think it's really interesting that 
they're making him into the hero that they think the people need. Um, <laughs> Not the hero they deserve. <laughs> exactly, because the hero they deserve is is the one who. Well, I, honestly, is is the one who's um, not perfect, you know, and and so it, it's always interesting to me to watch stories where um, the dangerous game is played of building something on a lie, mm-hmm. because what happens when the lie gets found out? And of course, that's what the entire Dark Knight trilogy ends up being about: is the difference between living in a lie and living in the truth, and. Right. It just makes me wonder, you know, wouldn't the story be more powerful if Trawl was the more complex hero? Look, he was the guy who started this mess. He's also the guy who died to rectify his mistake. Mm-hmm. He saw the light by the end. And isn't the story of redemption more powerful than just the guy who was always the hero for most people? I mean, that's one of our greatest, you know, literary tropes is the redemption story right absolutely yeah so many of our movies and books and stuff are built on that and uh yeah no it it really it's an idea that really resonates for sure so it would have yeah that would have been a very powerful way to go with the story i don't know it just it it really struck me as something um very strange to have star trek do you know um and uh Yes, the planet needs heroes, but uh, this planet also already has felt lied to before by the Federation mm-hmm. and by its leaders. So wouldn't it be better to be creating, you know, a life built on truth? Right. Yeah, that that's the thing is like looking at it from the perspective of the average uh, citizen of Mystico you know, it, the Federation doesn't look that great here. Like, there's a lot of suspicion that they created the disaster in the first place. Uh, you know, and I mean, not everyone believes that, and pro- maybe not even a majority believe that, but it's definitely something that's out there, that they created this so that they would be reliant upon them. And, you know, if they get found out with this other deception, like, it just would really inflame that whole belief and add to it and yeah that's a definitely a really dangerous way to go yeah what's interesting here is you know the the federation without them this this planet wouldn't be anything it would be less than a wasteland um it it would just be a smoking hulk full of probably not even corpses people would have just been vaporized and so it's interesting to watch them get blamed for this and, you know, I can understand in some ways why that kind of happens because, you know, people do lots of things when they're scared. But at the same time, I think it's pretty clear that they're here to help. Mm-hmm. And I think this story, too, especially with what um, gets played out with the Klingons, uh, people can see that, you know. Um, but I also think that this, again, it plays back into why you don't tell the lie because you need people to know the truth even about themselves. Right. And that they're capable of going too far, of blaming the wrong people, of making the wrong choices and all of that. And so, again, I think it does. It really creates a great story. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, any goodwill that you've built, you know, could be just completely wiped out by uh, by something like that, too. So, 
yeah, it's really, it's a really scary, dangerous game for sure. Well, Dan, um, how would you, uh, how would you rate the Cinder Cannot Hold, um, as just a, a story? Obviously, this is a more interconnected story, but, and it's a pretty short one, you know, on my iPad, it's about 64 pages, so it's a very quick read. But yeah, how would you end up rating, um, this part of Mere Anarchy? Well, Matthew, I really enjoyed it for the most part, uh, you know, again, it's it's kind of it's it's one of those middle stories that's a little hard. You you can see the pieces they're setting up, and the things that have kind of paid off already from the story before it. I I think uh, in and of itself, it's a very interesting story. It's a fun kind of exploration of the series paradigm at this point in Star Trek history, and it does some interesting things with the whole. Federation versus Klingon uh, ideals, basically. The story itself was a lot of fun. Um, a few little issues here and there, and most of it had to do with, you know, little things that just totally bug the Star Trek nerd in me. Uh, I think at one point I highlighted it in, in the in the story. They referred to referred to the shuttlecraft motor. <laughs> I was thinking, really, motor? I don't know. It just seemed just little things like that that really don't matter, but. Uh, brought me out of the story a little bit, but the story itself I really enjoyed, and I would probably have to give it four out of five uh, Mestico repairing satellites. Oh yeah, yeah, I like that one. Um, I'm with you. I think this. I, I actually really enjoyed rereading this story. I loved that it is a very quick story. It's something you can read honestly in less than an hour, probably really. Um, and maybe around an hour and, but I love how much is jam packed in it. It's like a whole, it feels like an episode, which is great. And there's a few things here and there, like you mentioned, but I just, I really enjoyed, you know, what happened in the episode and I, I really like it. And so I think this is four out of five environmental suit missions. Um, yeah, this is, this is a good story. It's a solid story, which is surprising. So I really, really do enjoy it. And, um, I, I hope that, uh, everybody will continue to follow along with us. Um, it's like we've been saying, it's, it's a great series so far and it really is just a, a quick read for a day and you get a great Star Trek story. Well, Matthew, I really enjoyed that discussion on The Center Cannot Hold, uh, and I, I really can't wait to see where this story goes next. I mean, you know, we've got, like, the motion picture era, the movie the movie era coming up, and, you know, even beyond that. So I'm really kind of excited to see where this story goes next and, and what lies in the future for Mystico. Yeah, I think this is going to be uh, really, really cool to to watch continue play out. And I kind of remember where the story goes a little bit. It's been so long since I have read the series that there are a few surprises here and there, which I'm really enjoying. So I'm, I'm glad to be able to get into that. And before we go, I'd like to say thank you to our associate producers, Will Wynn and Ken Tripp. These guys make this show possible each week because of their support of the network on Patreon. And as you all know, we are a listener-supported network. And without you guys, we just can't make this happen. So I hope you'll go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can become part of the team. You can get the shows early like my associate producers here do. Um, You can get exclusive content 
seats in the content development team and so much more. Of course, we've been doing the Patreon roundtables as well. Will Wynn has been putting those together, and they're so much fun for the listeners to have the opportunity to basically record a show here on Trek FM and talk about Star Trek things. So I hope that you will check us out again at patreon.com slash trekfm. And then, of course, we also have the Goodreads group. Uh, Check that out over on Goodreads. You can see the link for that on the show page at trek.fm. You can see... uh, All the books that we've covered in the bookshelf, you can see all of the things that we're going to be reading that are coming up on the show. So check us out at Goodreads. Dan, uh, I hope that people will want to interact with us on the Babel Conference about the the stories here. And uh, if they'd uh, like to get in touch with you and, and talk more about... Uh, this series, where can they do that? Well, Matthew, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Treklet Reviews. Uh, I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Treklet Reviews. And all of the, that is because of my website, www.treklet.com, where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. And uh, of course, you can find me, like we said before, on the Babel Conference. I'm often there posting and commenting on all kinds of things. And Matthew, when you're not reviewing a landing party protocols so you don't accidentally show your teeth, uh, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on Instagram at MRushing. You can find me on The Orb with Christopher Jones where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively. Uh, we also do, I also do the 602 Club where we pick a great new geeky topic each week and uh, we talk about that so it could be new things like movies that have just come out uh, say like Terminator Genesis or something of that nature um, Ant-Man all those kind of things or we talk about classic things too or things that we missed because the show just started so all of those giving you a great opportunity to maybe just explore some geek things that you haven't tried before and uh, listen to different points of view. And, you know, as Obi-Wan said, it's it's all from a certain point of view. And uh, hearing what other people have to say about things might just change your opinion. So I hope you'll join me there. And then, of course, I got my own personal blog at uh, 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time. Live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.